I was getting in big trouble. I was stealing. I was smoking cigarettes already. Uh, there was just a lot going on. And yeah, I think, yeah, I think my, my upbringing definitely shaped me. I think I was an angry kid. you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. We've got a great conversation for you today with JT Marianak. This one is going to let you know if you are ever down, it doesn't mean you're out. Incredible comeback story, huge in the fitness world. He's got about 740,000 Instagram followers that are highly engaged, tens of thousands of views on his videos, thousands of comments. People are diehard about this guy, and you're going to know why after you hear him talk. But first, a short word from our sponsor. We are supported by Poopourri. Simply spray the bowl with Poopourri before you go, and a layer of essential oils traps bathroom odor before it begins. Guaranteed game changer. As a 10,000 Nose listener, you can get 15% off your next order of $25 or more at checkout. All you have to do is use the code DELNEGRO15. That's DELNEGRO15. Poopourri. All right. Reminder, if you want to sign up for our weekly newsletter, it's simple to do. Just go to 10,000nos.com, scroll down, fill out the little form. Boom. Promise we won't flood your inbox with emails every day, just the Monday morsels as of now. I'd love to thank everyone who has rated and reviewed our show on Apple Podcasts. There have been a bunch lately. If you have not yet, please consider doing so. Definitely helps spread the word to others. Here's a recent one from Speedy2016. There's just a simplicity in the conversations Matt has that make the episodes so relatable and valuable to the listener. I appreciate that and would hope that would never change for it's the greatest part of his show. And that leads me back to today's guest, JT Marianak. Simplicity is the word that really comes to mind for me in the best sense of that word. Back to the basics. This guy, I'm just so impressed with him. He reminds me of Rocky Balboa in Rocky IV. When he's going to fight Ivan Drago in Russia, he goes over there, he trains in the woods, and he's chopping wood, and he's pulling sleds through the snow and living in a cabin. He's got the big beard. He's just off the grid. That's what Jay reminds me of, just a beast. People always comment, you got these eclectic guests. How do you get them? And I always say it's very organic. Sometimes I've worked with the guest or publicists reach out to the show, a friend recommends someone. But Jay, today's guest, I found out about him through a direct message on Instagram. Someone wrote into the show and said, Matt should interview this guy. He actually went to Matt's high school, full disclosure. He's way younger than me. So I looked him up and I was just blown away by the insanity of the workout videos he posts. It's all functional performance, so a lot of jumping and push-ups and burpees, innovative stuff, but he's built like Captain America, so he's just a physical specimen. But as is always the case on this show, that is not really what made me want to interview him. It was the fact that he was lost, he was addicted to drugs, really knocking on death's door, 
I hope by the time you're hearing this, we've been able to post the before and after pics of when he was a teenager and the height of his addiction side by side with the current day picture of him as this jacked Greek god. It's kind of amazing to me that someone could change that much. But also, you're going to hear about his being diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic after he had gotten his act together and how he accepted that with grace and humility, and it actually made him more relevant than ever to people who were looking up to him. That review that I read earlier talks about the honesty of these conversations. That is what we have today. Jay, as you'll hear, is just so transparent, so open and vulnerable. There's just no BS. It's really refreshing. Made me really proud to be a John Jay Indian, even though we're no longer the Indians. We're now the wolves, I think. But that's an entirely separate episode. For now, I give you the comeback kid, J.T. Marionette. Basically, I, I would love to start with, you know, growing up, you and I are from the same area. Um a listener told me about you and uh, I saw that we went to rival elementary schools. So uh, you were a, a Katona kid. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Where did you live right outside the town of Katona? Were you, you know, you were playing sports back then, but wait, what was your situation growing up? Siblings, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I grew up a uh, single mom. So my parents divorced when I was about two and a half. So it's just me and my mom and I had an older brother and yeah, we were, we were kind of actually moving around a lot, but since I kind of had a, established my childhood in Katona, uh, we always used my grandmother's address, which was in Katona as our address. So there was actually a time in elementary school, I was not even living in Katona, but we still used my grandma's address. And so that I could continue to stay with my friends in school. So, yeah, I mean, I spent, I still spent a ton of time in Katona, um, you know, grew up, you know, Katona park, man, you know, having stick wars in the woods and playing football, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, I got into trouble a lot <laughs> from the where, very where were you age. living when you were living, when you, your grandmother was there, where were you though? If like, was it a far commute? Or, or we, were, were you... we were living in Brewster at the time. So it was a bit of a commute. I think my mom would, if I remember correctly, my mom would drop us off. I think at my grandma's in the morning before school. And then we would take the bus and then we would, you know, once school ended, we would play with our friends for a while until my mom got off of work. And then I think then she would pick us up and then we would go home kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. And we're, and you were, it, that's one thing just to mention to listeners. Cause I feel like, I don't know if you have this, but I'll tell people I'm from Westchester County or, or I'll say like the actual address where I grew up was Pound Ridge, which is kind of known for, you know, like there are, movie stars that had horse farms in Pound Ridge, but that certainly was not my situation. And, yeah. and I know like now if people go by the, on the commuter train, they go to Katona, it's this quaint little town. It was always, it always, there was a charm, but it was very different back then. So I just mentioned Absolutely. that to anybody that's familiar with this part of the world, that it's, it's not quite exactly what it is now. It was, it was not back then. And then to hear that you were, you know, getting dropped off at your grandmother's, that's just like additional, probably stress on a kid that, you know, going to school where not everybody is going through that and you have that on you. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's exactly right. You know, it, it was definitely, I mean, definitely some of the stereotypes 
were definitely in place at that time, but there was still, you know, still wasn't a lot of kids like me, right. Where, you know, single mom, my mom has been a nurse her entire life. Like she was working a lot of times, 12, 16 hour days. Um, you know, that's actually, you know, something we could talk about, but I, you know, I developed major resentments as a kid because we were, you know, not well off at all. Like we struggled financially. And yet a lot of my friends were, you know, very wealthy and, you know, they had so many privileges and, and things they could do. And I remember just having so much, uh, I guess you could say anger towards people like that. Right. Cause I was not in that situation. And, um, so yeah, it's something that has actually stuck with me for, for a big part of my life. Yeah. And how did that come out? Like, would that, what, what sports did you play about it? Were you a football player and you, what else did you you know, when I was really young, I played everything. But yeah. then when I when I started getting a little bit older, baseball became my sport. So I was okay. always, yeah, I was in the baseball. And and did you feel like you channeled some of that anger into into the sport, or were, were you just? I mean, I'm assuming based on the stuff we're going to get into it later. But some of the stuff I've seen of you online, just with regard to workout, you are a physical beast. I would imagine that you did that you did well, um, I was exactly. like, was sports, was it something where you were on a track when you were younger and you thought like, I might go pro? Was it like, it was, was sports a big deal to you or was it just kind of a thing on the side? Yeah, it was definitely a big deal. It, it, you know, it definitely became that as I got older, it was definitely potential. I mean, who knows for sure. I mean, I was so young when I quit, like I didn't quit or I did quit when I was about 14. So you know, in those earlier years, you could be the best. And yet when you get to that 17, 18 year old level, that starts to change as you start to, you know, get more competition. So it's tough to say if I would have made it that far, but that was definitely kind of the thought, you know, back then was that I had potential to, to be something, but, uh, you know, it didn't really work out that way. <laughs> yeah. And, and what about like school, like, you know, grades wise and just like discipline wise, were you, in trouble back then? Were you totally checked out of school or were you a student and just, uh, because it sounds like, you know, I'm thinking of, of my situation. It's like my mom was a special ed teacher at John Jay where you and I both went. And then, and my dad, um, was a lawyer, but he was, you know, almost more of a teacher's mentality. So in, in my household, it was like, you know, I think I was very lucky in terms of, they disciplined us with schoolwork in a way that, you know, that's totally lucky. That's like luck of the draw of like, that's what the household was, but it sounds like you, you had a more hectic situation and I'm, I'm guessing that had to affect performance of grades and stuff. I'm just wondering if that like, you know, affected the whole personality. Did it put a chip on your shoulder even more than just like the rich kids around you, all that stuff? Like how, what was that whole situation? Like, like your relationship to learning? Yeah, you pretty much nailed it. I mean, I was getting in trouble from a very early age. I mean, Katona elementary, like I, I was getting in big trouble. I was stealing, I was smoking cigarettes already. Uh, there was just a lot going on. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think my, my upbringing definitely shaped me. I think I was an angry kid. You know, I don't remember consciously necessarily feeling angry because of my situation, but I'm sure in hindsight, uh, definitely had an effect on me. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I guess in some ways I did channel it. And, 
you know, I think maybe that's part of the reason why I, why I was so fierce when it came to sports and athletics at the same time, it also just got me in so much trouble. And in turn, I was a terrible student. I mean, once I was, once I hit middle school, I mean, I was just checked out. I mean, I was already doing drugs, getting wasted and just, you know, like I had said, you know, I was hanging on to the sports a little bit as I started to kind of go down a really bad path. And, uh, yeah, eventually I just, you know, all the drinking and drugs just took over and I said, you know, screw this. I don't want to, I don't want to do the sports and, and do that. So yeah, I all that. How early were you smoking cigarettes and how early were you drinking? What was like, like, are you talking like still fifth, sixth grade or you mean like seventh, eighth, ninth? Yeah. So I was stealing and smoking cigarettes when I was probably eight nine ten years old and then the drinking and drugs started sixth grade so whatever that was that 12 11 holy cow yeah i mean i actually think that's like that's like 11 i think is the typical sixth grader because i think 12 is seventh grade generally you know holy cow so yeah that's when that's when it began and it just went down a bad a bad route pretty quick yeah and and stealing at that point was it just like little things or was it like really actually like do real stuff uh it's, at first it was just stealing you know because back in those days you could just there were cigarettes just right right by the cash register so you could just you know you could steal cigarettes and and you know candy and all that kind of stuff so a little bit different of a times back then so yeah, yeah it was just it started with little stuff but as time went on and i really became a drug addict and alcoholic it really it started to turn into some other things yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to get, I have a philosophy on, on all of that stuff that I want to check against your experience in terms of like, you know, a lot of people that I've spoken to that had a similar situation, like it eventually, cause we're going to get to it and I can't wait for listeners to kind of hear this part of it, but the, your, your business acumen and, just to see like just simply on on Instagram alone to see what you've done i imagine that that kind of there's like a bold risk taker you know element to you that is um that that has translated into business you know later on like, like it, mm-hmm. it just seems like there's a there's a risk taking that probably has translated so i want to hear your take on that but sure, so yeah. you get so you get to be 13 14 and all of a sudden sports is just not as important to you. You kind of, what, what happens at that point? Do you, do you finish high school? Do you drop out? What, what happened at that point? Yeah. So at that point I had become really addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. So pills, you know, Vicodin, Percocet, Xanax, that kind of stuff on top of the, the drinking. And, you know, I was just, at that point. So I quit everything. And I remember there was a period cause I still would, you know, I would cut classes a lot, but I would still show up to like gym class and stuff. And it's kind of, it's kind of funny looking back, but, and I was always really good at gym class, you know, and I was always, I was always an athlete, even, even amidst being all messed up. And I remember a couple of years, there were all the gym teachers and teachers, you know, themselves would just, you know, plead with me to play sports or like, please just, man, you got to just get it together and just, just play. And I remember just being just such a rebellious kid and being like, F you, uh, I'm not doing it. And, uh, so yeah, I just, 
there was definitely that there was a transition period for sure at 13, 14, where I had opportunities and I feel like the universe was trying to like call me back to, to a better path. And I just, just wasn't my destiny to do that. And I just chose the the darker route and it spiraled pretty quick. It really did just from 13 to 14. It, it just really, it got nasty quick. Like in, in what way? Like, did, were you still living in that area? Were you still, did you still go to school and like, and graduate with your high school class or not even did, did were you? So yeah, I barely made it. So I think with high school, I think, if I remember correctly that you needed 20 and a half credits to graduate. And I literally graduated with 20 and a half credits. So, you know, there was a time at 16, I tried, I was going to drop out of school. I was really, you know, I was selling drugs. I was, you know, that's, that's when I started getting into cocaine and Oxycontin and I was taking a tremendous amount of LSD and mushrooms, you know, snorting ketamine. It was just, so when I say it was getting nasty in that sense, like it progressed really fast with the kind of drugs I was doing and the lifestyle that I was living. So yeah, at 16, I was trying to drop out. You know, I was really fortunate that there was just so many teachers and, and, and people of that nature that I guess could see a lot of good in me and were always just trying to help me. And I remember when I was trying to drop out, you know, teachers just like, you know, sitting me down and just, just really pleading with me to stay in school and, and, I, you know, I guess I, I guess I listened because I stayed in it. And, you know, I was that senior that literally had nine periods of classes <laughs> because I had just cut so many classes and I failed so many classes throughout the years that uh, I needed to make it all up my senior year. But somehow I was able to I was able to buckle down and and get through it. And I did graduate with my class. It's kind of amazing when, you know you think about that, even just that you still graduated and had all mm-hmm. this going on. And were you, when you say you were selling drugs, were you selling them on, on campus too, or just in town? Was it kind of running with a crazy crowd outside of, you know, outside of the school community or was it all within the school community? It was all within, You're definitely selling in school, doing a lot of drugs in school, you know, obviously, walking over to, to D'Agostino's <laughs> yep. and, uh, you know, doing drugs in, in the woods and selling drugs over there. So yeah, it was, it was in the school, you know, all around it. Um, yeah. And then eventually it kind of, obviously, you know, once I graduated, it turned into a different thing altogether and turned into even more of a beast. But tell, tell us about that a little bit. What, where did you stay in the area? Did you move elsewhere? Did it, did it get like, violent and you know guns and all that because i would imagine as it escalates and money is involved more dangerous people are around that that maybe it goes in that direction yeah it did it you know when i when i graduated you know i i remember feeling like wow i really have no structure in my life anymore and and that in itself just I just really got to a point where I was like, I don't give a fuck about anything. And so, you know, at that, I was going to, I think it's important to say this. I was going to a lot of concerts, you know, like fish and, you know, a lot of jam band kind of concerts for a long time throughout high school. So, you know, there's a whole lifestyle involved with that as well. And when I graduated, I got heavier into that lifestyle, going to festivals and things of that nature. And, 
you know, the, the, the more drugs you do, you know, the deeper and deeper it can go. And that's what started to happen, you know, just running with some, you know, some bad people, even the kids that I was friends with for a long time started going down some really bad paths. And, and yeah, it's just, uh, actually got thrown out of my house at 18. I've been thrown out of my house many times throughout my life, but I finally, my mother could not take it anymore and I don't blame her. So at, at 18, so I think it was about six months, maybe after I graduated, I went to go live with my father up in Waffenders Falls, a little bit North and became a tattoo artist because my dad was a tattoo artist his whole life and he became a tattoo artist. And yeah, it just continued, you know, just in a different place with different people, got in some different drugs and, you know, selling, you know, large amounts of marijuana up there and, and, uh, you know, the, the other life with the friends also continued and escalated. And, you know, you fast forward from, cause I got sober when I was 20 and a half and you, you go from 18 to 20 and a half. And, you know, I myself personally wasn't carrying guns, thank God. But, you know, some of my friends were carrying guns, you know, kilos of Coke were being sold. I mean, I was smoking tons of crack, uh, Holy completely, cow. completely incapable of showing up to work. Uh, I didn't show up to work for about two and a half, three months, just disappeared. And yeah, I just couldn't, you know, it was bad for a long time, but there was a, a point about three to four months before I got sober where it just got so bad that it was just unsustainable for me. Uh, you know, it's just constantly blacking out, waking up in parking lots, not knowing how I got there. You know, I was living out of my car. So my trunk was just full of my belongings uh, you know, selling drugs. I mean, just doing really bad stuff and, and just, you know, definitely reached a place where I was like, how the hell did this happen to me? So two questions for you. One, you didn't mention your dad till just then. What, what was your relationship with him? Like, as you were growing up, did you have contact and then, well, let's do that. And then I'll give you the, the follow-up question. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have daddy issues. You know, my parents divorced, like I said, when I was very young and my father has his own issues. You know, he was, he has a lot of mental illness and he's also an alcoholic and drug addict. And, you know, so when, you know, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a terrible father by any means, but you know, he wasn't, he wasn't there for me in a lot of ways emotionally. And, you know, we saw him, we saw him once a week, me and my brother for a while, you know, a lot of times he, you know, he didn't show up or he was late, you know, three hours late. And, and so we didn't have a great relationship with him. And, you know, there was just very minimal contact throughout the years. You know, I'm very grateful that, you know, when I was finally thrown out of my house that he was, you know, it was very nice of him to, to take me in and, and uh, give me a shot at, at life again. And, and he was actually, so I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but he was actually the guy that got me into rehab and really helped me in that way when the time came. So I'm just really, uh, yeah, well, that, so was, that was going to be my next question. Cause in, in something that I, I saw of you an interview with you, um, you said, by the grace of God, I had this moment of clarity when, when you were about, I think, a little after 20 years old, you know, right around yeah. 20 years old. What, what was it? Um, what was it that turned you? Like, what was the rock bottom? What, 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 if you can remember what went through your head or maybe it was your dad, 
you know, pointing it out to you. Maybe he was sober and ahead of you on that trail. Uh, how, how does someone make a turn from what sounds like really a pretty hellish existence at that point? How does someone make a, a turn that ends up leading them to where you are today? What, what was like, what was it that, that finally clicked? Well, it's interesting. So I, I got, you know, things are getting really bad, like I said. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm at the 20 year old mark and if I remember correctly, my, my mother, um, was like, you, you have to, you know, cause my mom also is, is in recovery and she had gone to meetings for a long time. She was like, you have to start going to meetings or you can't, you can't live here. You can't come here and that kind of thing. And so I went to, um, I went to meetings for like a week or so. And I was, I was still lit or maybe I was still living with my dad. It's kind of blurry, but there was a short time where I went to meetings, but I had no intention of really stopping. It was just like, all right, I have to do this because I'm being told I need to do it. And I was, I was so paranoid at the time too. I would drive like 40 minutes to a meeting in Danbury because I was afraid that somebody would know me. And like, you know, I was just crazy. And, and I was hanging out with this girl at the, at the time in Ridgefield and um, I remember I was, you know, I hadn't seen my friends in a while and I was, you know, there was part of me that wanted to stay sober, but I wasn't ready yet. And, you know, it's interesting about my, my last, last time I ever got high or drank was, was not my worst moment, but w- what happened was I ended up hanging out with some old friends again. Like I said, I wouldn't do, I ended up doing some cocaine and, and I just started bugging out like hard, you know, cause I had no more drugs and I was at my mom's house and I ended up just stealing some of her sleeping pills. And I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll just take one. You know, I'll just take one. And I woke up the next day. I'd taken, you know, almost the entire bottle and I just woke up on the floor to my mother, just screaming at me, screaming. You know, I think, I think I had left the, the, the stovetop on that night, you know, so I could have burned the whole fucking house down. I mean, and it, you know, again, Matt, it, it wasn't the worst night of my life for sure. But I remember her screaming, you know, standing over me. And I remember just being, just feeling something, something changed inside me. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is it. I can't, I cannot, I cannot keep doing this. It just all, for whatever reason in that moment, it got to that point. And then shortly after that, again, if I remember correctly, it's all kind of blurry, but I called my father who I hadn't spoken to in three months because I was working for him, but I just left just to keep getting high. And so I hadn't spoken to him in three months. I left him high and dry with his business. And I remember reaching out to him and just crying and being like, I'm going to die doing this. Like there was this gut feeling for months and months and months that I was just not going to make it. But when you're so wrapped up in it, I I was so hooked and felt like there was no way out that I just kept doing it anyways. And I was just like going against this, this intuition I had in me that I had to stop or else something really bad was going to happen. And so made that phone call to my dad and, and that's where my life really changed because my father had some connections out of rehab and upstate New York. And he made some phone calls and, you know, like we had talked about earlier, you know, I don't come from any money or anything. I had no insurance. And so my father was able to get me into a rehab on a scholarship. So I was able to go for free, which was, which was amazing. 
We are supported by Poopery. If you gotta go, but you don't want the whole house to know you just went, you know what I'm talking about. Come on, fess up. That's why we have Poopery. Simply spray the bowl before you go, and a layer of essential oils traps bathroom odor before it begins. Sound crazy? Sure, but guess what? It works. In fact, they guarantee it. It's available in a variety of scents and sizes, so that every bathroom is stocked. And now, Poopery offers hand sanitizer too, a moisturizing blend of coconut and lavender that kills 99.9 percent. germs in 15 seconds. But it's not just about the bathroom odor. Here's why I love it and endorse it. Poopery liberates everyone from toxic thoughts and ingredients. Not just the product, the company. That's their mantra. They do so much for their community. 10% of profits are being donated to Texas charities and additional quantities are being donated to medical professionals in need. And now for 10,000 Nose listeners, you can use code DelNegro15 for 15% off your next order of $25 or more at checkout. Again, that code is DelNegro15. And now back to the show. I'm just, I'm blown away by that, like that one moment of, of clarity. And I'm also curious, like you may not know the answer or remember this, but when you took those sleeping pills, like, was there any conscious uh, part of you that was maybe like, this is it? Like, I want to be out of here. I'm done. Or do you think it was more like, this voracious appetite and you're like, Oh, this is a pill. And I just am a guy that takes, I don't do anything, you know, I don't do anything in moderation. (laughs) So I'm not going to take one. I'm going to take the whole bottle. Like, do you, do you have any thoughts in terms of like what maybe motivated that, that move that got you there? Or you don't really remember. You're just kind of like you were there and then you woke up the next morning. No, I remember very clearly. So I I was doing it to stop the pain because when you're coming off of, you know, especially, uh, you know, an upper like cocaine and you have none left and you can't get any more. The, the, the pain and the fear uh, is so immense that you have nothing left, man. And so, you know, you, you pretty much do anything to, to get something in your system, you know, just to stop that because it's just torture when you can't, I mean, the amount of nights I, I couldn't sleep, man, just, bugging out was just it's just countless and so i my thought was i need to i need to black out man i can't i can't do this kind of shit anymore where i got nothing left and and so that was the thought behind it was just get me out of here in the sense where i I don't want to feel anything anymore and you know you take one and then yeah i mean it's a story you know it's a story of my life as a addict and alcoholic and and countless other addicts and alcoholics out there you know you just you can't just take one, you know, you just take one and then that's it, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, it just starts the vicious cycle. I really, I just want to interject and say, I really appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability. Cause I mean, you're just, you know, you're so open and it's really awesome because I feel like this conversation, I don't know who, I don't know when, but I feel like you're being this courageous about talking about it. And I'm, I, I know you've talked about it before and you'll do it again, but is is literally going to save lives by you being so bold. So I appreciate it. And and I guess, uh, yeah, man, I you know, it yeah, yeah, it will. And and I, so so you go to the program and, you know, I've heard a lot of stories of people will go, they'll get sober, everything's good, and then they will fall back off the horse. Did you ever have that moment, like you, you got there, what did you come out of that program with? Like, how long was it? How long were you away? Was it a month? Was it two weeks? Was it 
three months? What, how, what was that? And like, how did you come out and never look back or, or did you, I know the temptation is always there, but what was that experience like of what you got and what you came out of it with? So I was in the rehab for two weeks and they gave me the option to stay for longer, but I was, you know, granted I was a young kid and I, I just kind of, I knew I needed to be there and I did want to be there, but at the same time, I also wanted to get the hell out of there. And so, you know, I learned some things there, you know, they, they told me, you know, go to AA and, uh, or a 12 step program and, you know, get involved with that process. And, you know, so there were some things I listened to. And so when I got out of there, I got involved and, you know, it's a, it was a tricky, a tricky thing being so young in the sense where, you know, my whole life was hanging out with my friends and being social, right? When you're that young, that's, that's what it's kind of all about. Yeah. And so the most difficult, the most difficult thing was leaving that life behind and leaving my friends behind to kind of pursue a healthy lifestyle. And so I battled definitely significantly battled for that first year where I was going to AA meetings and I was also on the weekends hanging out with old friends while they were all doing drugs and doing stupid shit. And I just thought that was okay. You know, it was still just so normal to me that I couldn't, I, I couldn't separate myself. So yeah, it was, a, it was a battle. I remember being six months sober and hitting a point where I stopped going to meetings and I was really depressed and, and I just fucking just hated everything still. And, you know, cause here I am, I mean, I don't know what, how people perceive alcoholics and addicts, but what happened to me and what's happened to countless others is that when I got sober, here I am, I take away the drugs and alcohol. There's still major issues, you know, drugs and alcohol are, are usually just a symptom of the problem. Right. And that's what it was for me was, so I took all that stuff away and I had no crutch anymore to deal with life. So life got harder when I got sober and being so young. And so I was at this place about six months, stopped going to meetings and was like, F this man, I'm not doing this anymore. And, um, yeah. And wanted to get high bad and wanted to drink. And, you know, thankfully there were people in, in AA and stuff that, that kept reaching out to me and, and they, they helped me, they helped me get through that time. And there's been, there's been other times for sure. The first, the first few years were very challenging, you know, because you have, you have great moments. There are moments of tremendous hope that you can change your life and you can live a, a happy life without drinking and drugging. And then there are moments where all of that goes away and you feel like you're screwed. And then there's just no hope. And how am I going to do this? And so uh, it, it was a battle for some time. I'm fortunate to say that, you know, my sobriety date is November 16th of 2005. And that's, it's never changed. Really? That, so that when you went to upstate, that was it. There was, mm -hmm. see, I'm, I'm amazed that you came back, hung out with your old friends and were able to resist it at that point. And, and what, so what got you then at that point, had you started to get into fitness? And then, so I want to know when you started to get into fitness, the way that led to where you are today. And, and also was there like a definitive point where you extricated yourself from your old friends and just said, this is not, 
this is not working. I don't care what they think of me. They think I left them. They think that I think that I'm better than them. Like, was there a certain point or do you still have relationships with those, any of those people that you used to run around with? And have you been able to pull them into sobriety uh, in any way, or are they just kind of out of your life at this point? Yeah. So amidst kind of me living that double-sided life of, you know, going to a 12-step program and still hanging out with friends and putting myself in bad situations, I did get into fitness at that time. So I started taking karate and I was going to, uh, what was it? Planet fitness. And so I was just starting to get into, into fitness. I had no idea what the hell I was doing, but, uh, you know, I needed something. I need some kind of outlet to keep my mind off of things and, and just, uh, you know, stay focused and stay on a good path. So I was doing that. I wasn't, I wasn't able to separate myself from my, from my old friends until probably about a year or a little over a year into sobriety where, you know, like I kind of mentioned before, I found myself in a place where I just wasn't happy. I wasn't happy and I was still miserable, still really anxious, still had a hard time sleeping at night. Uh, and so, you know, I learned, you know, attending meetings for so long that, you know, half measures, right. Or just doing half the work is really going to avail me nothing. And so that I started taking that stuff more to heart and I was like, wow, man, I gotta, I gotta do more with this. You know, I gotta give back more to other alcoholics and, and addicts. You know, I got, I gotta do more because the way I'm doing it now just isn't working. And so, you know, I didn't necessarily like completely sever myself from, from old friends, but I, I, I did in, in a lot of ways. And my life really kind of transformed again you know, a little over a year into sobriety because I, I started separating myself from that old life and I just, I started getting better. I started feeling more hope that I could continue to change and, and live a good life. So, um, yeah, um, fortunately too, there's been a couple of those old friends that, that did get sober after me and that are still sober today and doing well, you know, some of them are not, you know, some of them are in jail and, you know, a good friend of ours is, is not with us anymore and he passed away and I'm sorry. Um, so, and some are sober. So, um, yeah, some, some of us, you know, got out of that life and were able to make some big changes, thankfully. Yeah. So you, you found CrossFit somewhere in that point, you transitioned a little bit from, uh, martial arts to CrossFit, or maybe you still did the martial arts, but I, <clears throat> I know you did get involved with CrossFit and you started competing and doing well. And then, you know, what I had seen was like, you were kind of, you had the competitive bug at this point. So, uh, walk us through, you know, what happened there. And then there's a, you know, something, something that was, uh, that came up for you that you did not, you were not aware of prior to that. What, what let us know that story with CrossFit. Sure. So yeah, I, um, so the, mar so I started with the martial arts and that, that transitioned into Muay Thai kickboxing and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And so I got really heavily into some of those more combative martial arts and I became an instructor. So I was teaching Muay Thai classes, you know, big group classes. And at that time I became a personal trainer. Um, I had done two amateur Muay Thai fights which was a really cool experience. And, uh, you know, I learned through those two fights that uh, I do not like getting punched in the face. <laughs> and, uh, 
I really enjoy punching other people and kicking other people, but I do not like people kicking me back. So it was a good experience, you know, two fights. And, um, but yeah, so I learned that that's not what I wanted to do because there was a time I thought that's what I want. That's what I wanted to do. Cause my whole life, I, you know, like we had talked about at the beginning, I was a really angry kid. So for a long time, I was a, I was a punk and I started so many fights. I was so angry and I could just fight anybody. I didn't care how big you were. You know, I was that kid. Yeah. I was always running, running his mouth and you know, it's embarrassing in hindsight, but so I tried to, you know, I tried to get into some of that stuff. And what happened was as I got sober and as I just started to mature more, I started to lose that, that anger, thankfully. Right. I just didn't have that switch anymore where I could just fight anybody at any time. And so long story short, that didn't work out with the martial arts. I kept teaching, but didn't work out. I also became a personal trainer at that time. And that's when I got into CrossFit and found CrossFit. And yeah, I did a little competing. It was nothing major at all. Really, at the end of the day, I was not, I was not very good in, in comparison to some of these, these beasts out there. But I really enjoyed it. And it was competitive, which I really liked being an athlete my whole life. And so I was doing this small in-house competition with a bunch of beastly dudes and I did really well in the competition. And after the competition, I was just feeling really off and it was something I'd never felt before. And I just thought, cause I really gave it my all in the competition. I really went as hard as I possibly could. So I thought I really just depleted myself and you fast forward two weeks and I lost about 15 pounds uh, at this time, uh, my vision started to get blurry. I was getting disoriented. I was unable to sleep at night because I was urinating so frequently. So it was like every 10, 15 minutes, I had to go to the bathroom. And this was like 24 hours a day. And so I started like losing it, just getting really whacked. And yeah, I made a call to one of my clients who was a doctor. And I said, hey, man, I have to, I have to change our appointment because I'm just feeling really off. And he was like, yeah, you should just go to the emergency room and just maybe get some fluids or something. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll do that. And I honestly, that day, I really thought that I was going to just go to the hospital for a couple hours. And then I'd be training my clients that evening. And I drove there and, you know, they were taking my symptoms and you know, admitting me and they tested my blood sugar on a meter and it, and it couldn't even read on a meter because it was so high. So my blood sugars were over a thousand and, they diagnosed me with type one diabetes right there. I mean, it was, uh, it was a surreal experience. I mean, my, my blood glucose was so high for so long that my vision was completely blurry. So I couldn't see, I couldn't make somebody's face out like five feet away. And oh yeah, God. right then, right, right then and there, that was, that was it. You know, they, they diagnosed me and then I was admitted to the ICU at that time. So went to the ICU and, you know, within six hours, my blood sugars went from over a thousand to 40. So I experienced my first low blood sugar that day. And, um, yeah, I was in the hospital for a few days and I learned about type one and how to manage it. And, uh, yeah, then they kind of just let you out. And when you feel ready, you just, you go out into the world and you're a completely different person. You have to relearn your body. You have to relearn how you feel. I mean, obviously there are far worse things to get in this world for sure. But type one is a, it's a challenging life-threatening disease. And it's, so there it's, was, it's, uh, an, 
Yeah. Let me ask you, it's an autoimmune disease, right? But can anybody, yep. like there were, there were no signs of it. Was there any of it in your family or is it just totally random? Like one day it just showed up or did they say it was lying dormant in your system prior to that? Like what that, that's what I was curious about because it sounds like you were, you know, you were functioning and then it's just one day, boom, it's there. So what, what have you learned since then with other people? Is that typical? Is that how it happens? Yeah, it generally is how it happens. I mean, for a long time, it was considered juvenile diabetes because only very, very young kids kids got it. But as time has gone on, the disease has evolved to where adults are getting it. So that's why it's called type one instead of juvenile. But yeah, I mean, I have a cousin who has it. Then I have like a second cousin, like a couple second cousins who have it. So it's a little bit in the family. And yeah, it's generally, generally how people get diagnosed is that some kind of traumatic event occurs, whether it be you get really sick with a really bad cold or the flu, or for me, it happened to be the CrossFit competition. So the, the doctors think that, I mean, who knows how accurate this is, but the doctors think that I probably had it for about six months to a year before I was finally diagnosed. So you can kind of live in this this state where your blood sugars are high and you have it, but you don't become, you're not like a full blown diabetic yet until that traumatic event occurs. And so again, for me, it was that competition. And then that's when my, my pancreas said, I'm not going to work anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And, And how did that change your life? Like, has that in a, in a, an ironic twist, has that changed your life for the better? I'm sure that there are I mean, I don't know what you have to do in terms of insulin and having it on you. Do you have an EpiPen? I, I don't know much about that. Is it something that's like a drip that's that's attached to you? And how has it changed your diet, your extra, your exercise, your whole approach to life? Has as that I would imagine is somewhat drastically changed from that. Yeah, it was a drastic change. You know, one of the things my mother said to me, I'll never forget. When we, when she finally got to the the ICU that day, she said to me, "Listen, you're not going to want to hear this, but you are the best possible person to get type one diabetes." And she's so right. And what she meant by that is, here I was, I was a grown ass man. I'm a, you know, super into physical fitness. I have a good diet. I eat healthy. So for me, the learning curve was much smaller than, let's say, you know, a five year old kid. Right. Or, or someone that's maybe that gets type two diabetes late in their life where they're really unhealthy and that kind of thing. So really at the end of the day, I mean, I was the perfect candidate. (laughs) And, uh, so the, there's certainly a lot of difficulties regardless of how much I knew about fitness and eating well. However, you know, my diet didn't change a lot. You know, there are certainly a lot of things I needed to learn about what affects my blood sugars and what ways. But for me, it was a fairly easy transition, putting aside all the major changes. It wasn't it wasn't so bad. And I was able to to harness it. There was a tremendous amount of fear in the beginning, you know, probably really stereotypical with most type ones. There's a lot of fear of like, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to be able to do all the things I want to do in my life? And am I going to lose my limbs? Am I going to lose my eyesight? You know, all those yeah. kind of things that, that can happen. And yeah, so once you get past that, for me, it was, it was such a blessing. And I've shared about this on other interviews and stuff I've done. And that, it, it so quickly became a blessing for me, Matt, because through social media and sharing it on social media, I, had, I started getting parents from kids that have type 1 
you know, you know, in Australia that reached out to me and were like, I show my son your videos and he says he wants to be like you when he grows up and, and things of that nature, like things like that were just happening often. And so it, it's, it's really hard to like, I, I don't, I don't pump myself up about that because it's hard not to harness that into a positive thing. If you're like constantly getting those kind of messages, it was like really easy for me to be like, wow, you know what? This is, this is a good thing. And so it yeah. so quickly became a blessing where here I am a sober guy and you know, I've been sober for, I think eight years when I was diagnosed. So here I am, I'm able to help people through telling my story of sobriety, you know, and getting fit and using fitness as a, as an outlet and that kind of thing. And then now I have this new thing, right? Now I have this other way that I can connect with people and potentially all around the world and say, Hey, you know what? You can do anything you want to do no matter what, even if you have this fucked up disease, because look, I'm, I'm doing it right here and I'm going to show you that it's possible. And, you know, so really at the end of the day, you know, I, I look at my life today and I'm like, man, dude, the blessings are, are insane. Really. You know, when I really look at it, um, there's been some tough times, but I mean, the, the ability for me to, to reach out to, to so many people around the world and potentially inspire people is just such a gift. Yeah. And w w right prior to that though, like when you first were diagnosed, was there any part of you that was angry? Like, hang on a second. I'm really fit. I work so hard in the gym. I actually watch my diet and I'm the guy that gets this. Like before you saw it as a blessing, was there any period of time where you were angry? Like why me? And did you switch it? Uh, it sounds like you, you have turned it into your cause, which is awesome. And, and this is going to lead us down, you know, kind of the home stretch of like just talking about your business. Cause it, it sounds like there's like a real purpose behind what you're doing that goes beyond fitness. But, but prior to kind of making that transition, was there any anger of like, well, how do I get this when there, there are other people, or, or did you just kind of take it immediately and just go, okay, this is my fate? Yeah, no, I definitely had some of those feelings. And I think like a lot of people would, you know, I'm not, I'm not some super stoic, you know, special person. <laughs> you know, I, I definitely had, definitely had those feelings of, man, this, this sucks, you know? Yeah. And, but yeah, that, that did quickly go away. And, you know, I still have moments where, you know, it's, it's a battle, man. I mean, I still battle every day, you know, yeah. uh, with, you know, really bad low blood sugars in the middle of the night that wake me up, you know, I don't sleep well and, you know, then high blood, you know, even though you might be really healthy and really fit type one diabetes is, a somewhat unpredictable disease that can do and does whatever it wants. So, uh, it's, yeah, still a challenge today, but you know, you definitely get to a point where it's just, it's just your life. Like I don't even remember yeah. what it was like to not have it. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. So talk to me about your business. I, because I, you know, uh, people listening, they depends. I'm sure you have, incredibly devote disciples. And then there will be a lot of people listening and maybe within my crowd that won't know you. And, you know, you've got, I mean, it's astounding. You've got, as of whenever we're having this conversation, I don't know when this will release, but you have 709,000 followers on Instagram. 
Um, you're an absolute beast. I've seen some of the videos. It's like, you know, natural body weight videos. I saw something else of you online where you're doing like, I mean, it's, it's awesome. You're, you know, working out and in the middle. So just so I could describe it to people that are listening, you'll do like a, a squat or you'll do some kind of more standard exercise and then mix in like a backflip just while you're standing there and then go into a burpee. It's, it's crazy. It's like a, because as I was looking at you, getting ready to talk to you, I'm looking at your Instagram feed and I'm like, well, what, what, how is this just, it's, it's this enormous kind of empire and it's really all videos. And as I looked at it, I'm like, it's, yes, it's instructional. It's also entertaining. I mean, to see someone that can do some of the stuff that you can do physically makes me wonder when you were saying before, there are these other beasts in the CrossFit you're like, oh, I'm nothing like them. I'm like, God, really? Because to me, you you seem like just like a, a physical freak with what you're able to do. So what I'm interested in is like, how do you combine that just astounding, uh, you know, athletic prowess with business acumen? Obviously, you must, I don't know if you have a big team around you or if it's, you know, I'm imagining there has to be something. And, and like what's, and the purpose behind with the diabetes, with getting sober, what's your philosophy on business and how do you think you've gotten it to be so successful and how long did it take before it really took off? Is this more recent or has this been like this for a long time? Sorry, that's a lot yeah, of questions to unpack. No, right? no, it's it's all good. I mean, first off, I mean, we we are blessed to live in a an era where we have access to all these platforms and have the ability to build businesses and things of that nature just based of, you know, based off of ourselves and just brand, you know, our, we are our brands, you know, as we see a lot of these, you know, quote unquote influencers out there. And so, you know, first off, it's a big part of it is a testament just to the era we're living in. You know, secondly, you know, going back to kind of that fierce part of me, you know, with sports and, and things of that nature, you know, I definitely applied that to the videos when I started posting them. So probably about seven years ago or so, I started posting stuff online, you know, trying crazy stuff. And, you know, my business was kind of built on that, uh, just kind of doing that entertaining kind of crazy stuff at first. And as time went on, you know, I was obviously a personal trainer at that time. So that was my business for a long time, which is personal training. And I built that up to a point where, you know, I essentially had like a waiting list of clients to to work out with me and that kind of thing. So I just kind of reached the ceiling, so to speak, with personal training. And so I still had continued to post stuff on Instagram and, you know, built more of a following, you know, hit 100K, 200K, that kind of thing. And for a long time, actually, I didn't harness Instagram and the following I had. And I had people around me you know, basically being like, dude, what, what are you doing? Not selling programs or harnessing those followers, dude, you're sitting on a gold mine. And, and ultimately what it comes down to is that, you know, I'm somebody who I have self-esteem issues and, and that kind of thing. So there, there's a part of me that like, I, I know, um, you know, I'm kind of, in, in some ways I'm like an egomaniac. And then also I have this like major inferiority complex. And so in a lot of ways, like I know I'm, I'm good at things and, you know, I know I can accomplish things when I set my mind to it with athletics. Like I know I can be fierce and do fucking anything. And then there's also this part of me on the same, in the same sentence. That's like, I feel like everyone's better than me and I'm a piece of shit. And so 
you know, essentially, and I lived in that space for so long where I was afraid to make a leap and create a product or create a program to sell it. Cause I felt like, Oh, it's not perfect yet. Right. Like I lived in that paralyzed state that a lot of us can experience of uh, that, you know, perfectionism, you know, it's not perfect yet, which is obviously all bullshit. You know, a lot of us know that, but it was hard to get out of that. I needed to just kind of go through it for, uh, you know, a number of years until finally I, you know, developed a program. It was a simple PDF and I built a, a Wix website on my own. I had no idea what I was doing. I had like a friend help me make the PDF and I sold it, you know, and I made a couple thousand bucks. And I was like, oh shit. I was like, people bought this, you know, like 500 people bought it. And so then I made another program. I made that program just a little bit better. I sold that one. It did even better. And then it just kind of spiraled like that until I started really getting comfortable and getting confident in, you know, that I was doing a good job with, with the programs. And yet I was still lacking all the business side of things, right? I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not a business guy. And so as time went on, I finally, you know, things continued to get better and better, making more money doing it. And I finally uh, made JTM an S corp. And so I went the official route really officially turned into a business. And then I, you know, I started getting burnt out on training clients and working those 10, 12 hour days of training 10 clients a day. And I was like, all right, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make a leap here and I'm going to X out the clients and I'm going to give this JTM fit Inc thing a full, a full, all my energy try. And I did that. I started that about two and a half years ago. And yeah, it's been incredible. I mean, the growth has been really incredible. Um, it's been, you know, I was hitting numbers, you know, revenue wise, that I never thought was possible. And, um, you know, I always heard about, you know, other people, fitness people, you know, making this, making that. And it was, it was actually happening to me too. And I was just, just amazed by, it. you know, not to say it's all about money, but you know, sometimes, money is awesome <laughs> and, yeah. and we want to make a lot, we want to make a lot of it. Right. And, and so, yeah, it's just been, um, you know, we fast forward till now, you know, obviously times have been tough since uh, COVID-19 and, you know, we're all, we're all kind of in the same boat. We're all struggling here. And uh, obviously there are people that are worse off than I am, but uh, yeah, it's been, um, it's been an incredible journey with the business. You know, I do have someone helping me now, you know, doing marketing and, Facebook ads and that kind of stuff. But a lot of everything I still handle on my own. I mean, I, I outsource projects when I need to. So I've built a team in that sense where I have a lot of go-to guys that handle video projects and PDFs and, and different things like that, brand management. Um, so yeah, it's, it's still, still a small business, but I was I'm, just going to you know, say we, how, how many, how many people would you say on the team, even if they're just, they're more like independent contractors is what you're saying? Yeah. Um, Mm, I'd say probably at one point, probably three or four, maybe five, but now it's just probably like one or two. So I have one wow. guy now that I just re recently brought on who's been handling a lot of stuff. So he's been handling email marketing, you know, kind of everything, building the website. So he's doing a lot of stuff, which has been cool. Um, so yeah, there's still, there's still a lot of potential in the business. Um, and it's just, I'm truly living the American dream. I'm truly living this, like 2020 American dream where I'm someone who I started social media stuff. I was able to build a following. I harnessed that following, turned it into a business. And now I'm like, you know, 
making, you know, really good money and doing what I love to do. You know, I work from home, you know, my house is my office and, um, you know, I make my own schedule and, and kind of do my thing and create programs, which is what I love to do. So, yeah. What, what's I mean, a typical program? Is it like, uh, will you have like a get shredded program and then like a get, you know, bulky program? Like, is it that kind of thing yep. or is it, what, what are the, what's the gist of them? Yeah, it's, it is that. So I do have a, I have about six programs right now. They all kind of touch on some different things. So some are just kind of general. Others are mass building programs. I have another that's a shredding program, but they all fall under the umbrella of functional training. So that's been one of my bigger things is that I've always wanted to be good at every single facet of fitness and be, you know, as functional as possible. So I've always wanted to get, you know, as jacked and ripped as possible, yet stay super athletic, explosive and, and fast. So all of my programs are geared towards that. So all of my programs are designed around, you know, building your body up, you know, focusing on mobility and all these prehab exercises to make sure you're staying you know, injury free and that kind of thing while, you know, building muscle, burning body fat, you know, staying athletic, you know, um, still, you know, being explosive, all those kinds of things. So, yeah, I really try to do everything with my programs and build just really well-rounded programs. Yeah. And, and where does the, like the, uh, the diabetic stuff and the sobriety stuff, does that, is that more like a personal mission? It's not necessarily tied in with your business. Is that just like an offshoot of people know you through your business and then they come to you and that, or, or is that somehow wrapped into the, the whole business, uh, format or plan or whatever? It's definitely a part of the brand for sure. I mean, you know, I am the brand and, you know, so I do tell the story, you know, it's definitely a, a big part of, you know, my, my website and that kind of thing. However, it's not something that, you know, I've had, you know, I definitely would never harness the sobriety thing to make money. That's definitely never something I would ever do. Um, but and even as far as like the diabetes stuff, I just have an issue with that too. Like I know there are people out there that do, you know, really push other type one diabetics and, you know, they make money off of it, which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I don't know, man, I get a lot of, you know, kind of going off topic a little bit. I get a lot of people that, you know, diabetics that ask for like a diabetic, uh, diabetic, excuse me, specific program and things of that nature. And I just, I don't know, for some reason that bothers me because I just, I just don't believe that we're different. I, I don't, I don't buy into the you should have a different program because you have type one diabetes. I, I just, I think it's bullshit. So, um, and listen, you know, I'm saying that now, you know, six months from now, I could be like, Oh yeah, here's my diabetic <laughs> program. <laughs> you know? No, but you know what? So I, hopefully, I, hopefully I, I don't do that. I appreciate you've done it all throughout this conversation. It's just, just like, uh, you know, you're very upfront and very honest. And, and I, I really appreciate it. I got a couple of quick little, little questions to, to wrap us up here. Well, one, one thing before I even get to those, you've mentioned, like you've used the word blessed a couple of times. Uh, I know you said in that interview that I saw grace of God, like how is, has, is there, has your, whether it's religion or spirituality or anything, because it feels like you've, you know, from where you came from to where you are now, there is definitely a, sense of a guy who's got like a big picture in mind in terms of purpose is, is spirituality a part of that in some way? Is it like, what, where does that fall in with everything? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I definitely, 
I didn't believe in anything. I'm not a super religious person, definitely a spiritual person, but I didn't believe in anything my entire life. And when I had finally gotten sober and just gone through hell for so many years, you know, when I finally got sober and, and looked back at my life and look at all of the times that I should have died, you know, that my life was truly spared and I don't know how I, I've made it. And, you know, there was just a, immediately a level of, wow, there's, there's gotta be something out there, you know, and there's gotta be some reason for me being here because I shouldn't have made it, man. And I'm sure so many of us out there can say that in their own way with their own story. And so that in itself, like, I don't have, I'm not somebody who, you know, has this like strong, strong connection to a God and stuff, but you know, man, like, it's just hard to deny it a lot of times that there's something going on out there, man. You know, I personally call it the universe and, and, and that kind of thing. And I believe in, you know, doing right by people and, and putting good vibes out into the world and, and trying to help as many people as we can. And uh, yeah, you know, you, you mentioned purpose, you know, I'm somebody who definitely for a long time felt like I had no purpose. And when I finally got healthy and got into some healthier things. I, I just, you know, I'm somebody today that just, I have no doubt in my purpose. You know, I'm, I'm here to, you know, help, you know, the people in my family first and foremost, you know, be there for, for my family and my, and my friends and, and help them. And then, you know, that trickles out to you know, obviously social media and other people in recovery. Like there's just such a strong purpose that like, yeah, um, you know, I'm supposed to be here. You know, yeah. and uh, yeah, there's definitely a strong belief in, in that and, you know, and love and, and uh, yeah, just trying to be the best that I can. It's really great. I, three quick questions. I mean, some, they might not be quick if you expand on them. It depends. <laughs> each, each guest answers them differently. Quick. No, no, you don't have to be. Everybody <laughs> answers them differently. First one is the word no really means what to you? Uh, well, it's something that I've never really, so I always think of it in terms of, you know, there's, there's so many times where I'm, you know, I feel selfish and self-centered. Like I just, you know, I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. And I was just kind of always taught, like, despite how you feel to never say no. And I, I mean that more specifically in the sense to like helping other people. Um, so that's the first thing that kind of comes to mind when you say no, it's like, no, I was always taught to say yes, you know, get it, get out of yourself man, and just try to help despite how you feel, because that's going to be the very thing that's going to help you get out of that feeling. Wow. That's the first time anybody's answered it like that. That's actually really, really cool. That's a, that's a unique answer. I like it. Um, next one is, uh, if, if you have, I don't know if you do or not, but do you have a go-to mantra when everything goes sideways is there anything that you kind of fall back on that's like a, some phrase or something that gets you through it? No, there's so many good ones, but the first one I think of, and I think it's obviously really you know fitting for the times we're in right now, is this too shall pass. And that's been something that I've been using in my entire sobriety, you know, when I was in all those moments of like, fuck this, man, I just want to get high. Um, you know, this too shall pass. It's been such a strong just kind of pillar in my life and it's like no dude like this this feeling will pass like these times will pass like there'll be brighter days and you know we look to the situation we're in right now it's like this this will pass like it's fucking awful what's happening right now we will get through this and the world will get better we will find a vaccine you know we, we will be okay and um so yeah this too shall pass has always been 
one of the top for me. Yeah, agreed. Same, same for me. And the last one is, if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? Oh, man. It's such a tricky question. And I've gotten that one before. And the first thing I think of is that could never be the guy that I am today without all of those years of trouble and hell and pain. So I feel like it's so tricky because I, I, I sometimes wonder, and I have this conversation every now and then with like my mom or something like, I wonder what would have happened to me if I, you know, didn't go down that bad path and like stuck it out with sports and, um, and made it really far with sports, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of crazy to think about. And at the end of the day, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't trade it. So it's such a, it's such a tricky thing. I don't know. I don't know how you intervene on that. I'm, a, I'm you know, laughing because cause I'm, I'm letting you hang yourself with your own rope. Cause that's what I always say when people start to answer this, I'm like, it's really kind of, you know, it, it is a trick question because the, the, the irony is that that like 20 year old self or 10 year old self would never listen to you. That's kind of the whole point. It's like what you've learned now, but you would, you know, they would never would have listened. And I, I agree with you, man. You're, you're right. That it's kind of what I was alluding to in the beginning, which was you went, you had this fierce kind of just innate ability to kind of even the stealing or the smoking early or that kind of thing. That's the same quality, I think, that makes you so good in business now, probably. It's like this, this kind of being able to to step out and do something that's you know, what you do, it's not the norm. I mean, you're, you're right. You are living the 2020 American dream, working from your house, doing well, doing what you love, you know, not many, a lot of people cannot say that and be doing it as yeah. successfully as you are. And yeah, sorry, I, I'm jumping in and answering your own question. I just, uh, <laughs> no, no, man, dude, it's, it's right on, dude. It's, it's, um, you know, as far as that question goes, I feel like I'd almost, I don't know if I would intervene on my old self, but I would, I would just want to just be there just, just, just to push push myself back on track when I was starting to fall. You know what I mean? Just to guide them, <laughs> yeah. guide that old self, you know, cause I feel like all the lessons I learned in my, in my life were, were just so necessary. So. Yeah. Well, listen, Jay, you, you are, I, I'm so glad that somebody mentioned you to me and, and it's kind of crazy to me that, we went to the same high school. I'm a little older than you, but um, I'm I'm like I'm proud of our area for you know. And talking <laughs> to you, I'm like, oh, this is so cool that you're a product of of where I grew up as well. I'm I'm so impressed with you, and and uh, as I keep saying, appreciative of how open and honest you are. And um, let let people know, and we'll put it in the show notes, but. Um, just let people know where they could, what the best place is to find you. If, if someone wants to get your program or if someone wants to, you know, just, just follow you, whatever, what, what are the best places they could find you? Yeah. The best thing to do is go to www.jtmfit.com. And then also follow me on Instagram at JTM underscore fit. And yeah, those are the best places to check out all my products and my programs, as well as follow me on Instagram. Awesome. And I'm going to give people, uh, you know, even if you are not into fitness, just as a human, you should go check out his Instagram because <laughs> it is, it is insane. Um, Jay, thank you so, so much for sitting down with me. I know you're busy. I really appreciate it. 
No, I really appreciate you, Maz. Great talking to you, and hope you have a great day. What we do here is go back, 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 back. Okay, top three takeaways. It's so hard for me to limit it to three when there are so many, but here we go. Number one, the fact that we all have issues, every one of us, if we're being honest. I don't know what how people perceive alcoholics and addicts, but what happened to me and what's happened to countless others is that when I got sober, here I am, I take away the drugs and alcohol. There's still major issues. You know, drugs and alcohol are are usually just a symptom of the problem. I've got this great book by Paul Williams and Tracy Jackson called Gratitude and Trust. And the general premise is that everyone could benefit by going through the steps of AA, not just alcoholics. So the takeaway is look at your issues and deal with them because they're not just going to go away on their own. Number two, the role of hope. At that rock bottom moment, Jay called his father after not speaking to him for three months And he says, this is when his life really changed. His father was able to get him into a rehab on a scholarship. And I remember reaching out to him and just crying and being like, I'm going to die doing this. Like there was this gut feeling for months and months and months that I was just not going to make it. But when you're so wrapped up in it, I I was so hooked and felt like there was no way out that I just kept doing it anyways. And I think it's important for people to see this. It wasn't the scholarship. It was hope. It was help from someone outside himself. It applies in this extreme situation, but it also applies to all of you who are pursuing some big goal. You just got to get to that point where you can envision a brighter future. And that is hope. And that's the first step toward recovery or your dreams. Sometimes those are both the same thing. Number three, I'm not shocked anymore when guests say this because most of them say it, but it's still worth mentioning. When I asked Jay if he'd intervene in his earlier, younger self, he wasn't so sure because, as he says, all the lessons he learned through the hardship were so necessary. So after all he went through, he still ends with this thought of gratitude. You know, so really at the end of the day, you know, I, I look at my life today and I'm like, Man, dude, the blessings are are insane, really. You know, when I really look at it, um, there's been some tough times, but I mean, the the ability for me to to reach out to to so many people around the world and potentially inspire people is just such a gift. Don't know about you, but I'm inspired. That's it. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Jay, for bringing your honesty and that story. I feel so lucky to get to sit down with people like you. If you want more specifics on Jay, check out the links in the show notes. And again, if you love this show, please rate and review it. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Turn on your notifications so you don't miss any episodes. Last thing, for announcements and promo videos of who's next, no longer on my personal Instagram, although I do repost, but instead follow us at at 10,000 knows on Instagram, at 10,000 knows on Twitter. Our email, if you prefer that, is info at 10,000 knows.com to be added to our mailing list or just go to the 10,000 knows.com site and sign up there. Next Friday, got a big one, Marie Forleo. Oprah calls her the voice of a new generation, but what is Oprah now, right? All right, we'll see you then, unless you tune in for my brief little pump-up to start your week on Monday Morsels. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.